Welcome back, I'm Erin. I appreciate everyone's patience waiting on the second half of the interview, so I'll keep my intro here quick. I just want to say thanks again to Fred and Julie for sharing their time and knowledge. And also, thanks to everyone who continues to contribute to the discussion in a helpful, respectful way. As always, feel free to reach out to me with any questions or clarifications. And with that, here is part two of my conversation with Fred Murray. Obviously, yeah, obviously yeah. around. I mean, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. yeah. I mean, the people have disappeared a lot up there, and you know, they got lost in the woods, or they went in the woods and committed suicide. And um, I'm not happy with the, anything about this at all. There's, there's so much left to be found out, and it's going to. I think it's going to involve the cops. If it isn't, it could be a dirt bag. You know traveling dirt bag or something like that from just having going through we still don't know about the three um ski workers the yeah. mountain workers because they weren't the guys that you you mentioned earlier yeah i always thought that it was the brothers the interest in the brothers was because they drove a red truck with the wooden sides and stuff like that and robin Ordsway there or whatever her name was who was on her way to the the log cabin store mm-hmm saw the truck go by and slow down. You know the story, yep. right? And then they were waiting at the store and they saw her come around the corner. She obviously wasn't who they were looking for. And they took off. And they've got, I've been told that they're shortwave radio operators and they, uh, they've got contact and they may have heard the police report or something like that. And maybe they're looking for this girl. That was the boys. I tried to get the cops interested in it. Then one day... I was at the accident scene, and this truck went by. And it was the exact truck that it looked like uh, I had heard. This was a description. This was a truck that had been described. I followed it. It went over and went down the first side street on the left. The boys had rented that house. But I never got a chance to talk to them. I could never bump into them after that. Yeah. I couldn't find them. I was there many times up to that place in that house. I searched for them, and I could not find the boys but that was the connection with the boys driving by and looking but nothing at all about going to blue mountain wow okay there was like a fire meeting that day yeah so i've also considered the idea that the red truck could be uh, a brush truck fire truck which is basically a pickup truck yeah essentially it's a a little bit bigger pickup truck and it has a giant hose essentially and it's to get into fires that are like in the in the woods that you can't get a fire truck into this was a very old vehicle okay the glenn boys vehicle and the vehicle that uh, robinson told me about she kept stressing that it, it was old yeah it had rounded fenders kind of thing and it it, oh. it was definitely uh had some years on it and it doesn't sound like something that would be strong enough to, right. that okay. the fireman would they'd have a better vehicle yeah that's good uh, to know that's that's what I think of that, you know. But I, I'm ruling them out on the uh, Loom Mountain, for okay. sure. Have you gotten any 
good leads since the show has started? Or is it like a lot of the same? I just got that rehash on mm-hmm. uh, personal contacts with me about uh, Claude Moulton. Uh, no, nah, I haven't. Uh, I haven't gotten anything. No, no, no good hints. No good leads. Need a real good clue. We need someone to spill their guts. I, I've been depending on somebody getting in trouble and ratting on somebody else as part of a plea bargain, and getting l- real lucky that way and mm-hmm. finding out what happened. You know, but that hasn't worked either. I'm telling you, this can't look at me at all. And he, he, he's, that guy is suspicious. And that's the prime name he and, uh, that I get, I get, I get hit with all the time for years and years early. That was overwhelming finger pointing by locals. There was a tale of a, uh, in a bar in, uh, Franconia with there. And, uh, they, they were discussing, uh, Mara. You know, and the report was that they they did it. I know that that, but I I got stuff like that all over the place, and it was, it was always these guys. Those are well known, renowned local dirtbags, and uh, there's no way around that. It gets right down to her being seen in the back seat of a car with two of the and maybe where the sighting was supposed to take place at one sixteen and one twelve. Who knows, you know, what's true and what's not. But I've never been able to put it to bed. The whole first five years, I did nothing but chase these guys. I I went to all these guys by myself in their their yards. I never brought anybody with me or anything like that. And I just confronted them. I confronted in his driveway. He said, I I knew you were coming. I, I didn't do it. I wish I I wish I I knew whether the cops followed up on it, and I I, I never will. But the cops won't talk, so I can give them names and hope that they do something with it. But I'll never ever know until I actually see the case records, and I want them to declare it a murder case, and and get rid of this missing person thing, and so maybe more force can be brought to bear on it. Or maybe we can get the FBI in. I have been screaming for the FBI, and they, that gives them absolute horrors. These cops do not want the FBI bearing down on them, and that, that, that's been the that's been my problem the entire since day day one. Day three is Wednesday because she disappeared Monday, but it was day one when the case that's investigating the case. That's when I got there, you know, at dawn on Wednesday morning to join the search. But I was the search. She's missing on Monday. They don't start searching till Wednesday. They don't ask the people that lived in the neighborhood what they saw, all the neighbors, until about 10 days. And that's because I found out, because I was talking to the neighbors, that the police hadn't talked to them. So I hit the roof when that happened. There was another trip up to the uh, barracks there, you know, up to Twin Mountain, right in their front porch, barking at them. I was in the Woodstock, North Woodstock Police Station, and they said nobody contacted them. They were never alerted. So the cops that night didn't call ahead, keep an eye out for someone that just had an accident, you know. And that's when I that's when I started screaming for the FBI right off the bat. The minute I heard that they didn't go east, that this this is ridiculous. How could, what do you mean you didn't go east? And 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 your guy didn't tell you that he was there and what happened. 
and he can tell he can tell us anything because only he knows. That's what really rankles me the most, Monaghan. And but you know I've been pounding away at that ever since. And now he's a, the chief of police of Franconia. In Franconia, yeah. God, I've been up there walking around town. I mean, and uh, I never saw him. Mm-hmm. He probably saw me. Early on in the case, I would go up and I'd hang around that bar there. Yeah, what, is it the, um, what is it called? The broad Long Cabin Bar, right in the middle of town. Right beside the market. Right beside the food market. I went there and when I was there in February. I can't remember the name of it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I went there too. I, I'd go, I'd pop in there to try to overhear mm-hmm. what locals talking and stuff like that, you know, and hope they didn't know who I was. The uh, waitress there once, I went in, she called me out, outside and had three three things to tell me, and she had them written down too. And uh, one was uh, the son of. I said, "Well, yeah, he's only eighteen now. Back yeah. then, he was about thirteen or something like that. You know, it was not the son of. If you told me himself, I don't know why they don't jump all over when you see where he lives and where Mara was and there's a blue backpack that looks like hers could be hers up in the woods behind his his road you know and they don't talk to him so I I didn't like that one of my notes the program accepted the police whitewashing themselves way too easily that interview with the police turned my stomach especially the one with Cecil when them snickering about the whole squad business and then uh baby Huey I call him uh Williams comes on and denies everything, but it's all, it seems scripted to me, you know? They were coached. You see Coach Strelson sitting there, glaring at them, but it did me good to uh, force Monaghan to, to make a public appearance, even though he, he said it absolutely as little as possible. With no follow-up on why did you not go east. None. Everybody else went west, Monaghan. Nobody went east, and it's your road. It's a state patrol, a state highway. That means the state police patrol it. We know that because further down on 112, when Julie and Mara and I were camping on uh, Jigga Johnson Campground on 112, uh, the state police were going by all the time. They'd come in the campground. It's their it's their beat. So he didn't, on a on missing a girl, he doesn't go on his beat. He, he reverses back and goes Whatever the Christ he, he says he did. Who knows what he did? Only he knows what he did. No one else. His own department doesn't know what he did. Strelson doesn't know what he did. No one knows what he did that night. And they, they never will. Only Monaghan knows what he did and possibly Mara. But uh, I can't. I don't accept that. That he didn't go east. If he didn't go east, he's the worst cop in the history of the world. You know? And but he he, I think he did go east. He says he didn't, but he should have. And I, I right from the very beginning, I said if if I can't get my daughter back, I want the world to know that this cop had an opportunity. This cop was my daughter's last only hope. The only chance she had of getting out of this was if the cop went down and 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 saved it. And so she's not subject to whatever dirtbag. Rolls by, and there were plenty, and uh, so that's maybe the best thing that happened with the program. It gave me and afforded me an opportunity to point out to the world what has been hushed up all this time, and, and that's probably the thing I wanted to do most about the program. Probably the reason I did it. I want Monahan exposed as 
being a, a, the worst cop or a suspect. That's how, what I consider them. I, I, I want everybody to know it, too. And I, I'm unrelenting in that, and I always will be. I, I'm not letting up. That is the worst police work in the history of the world. What is it? Is it if you're in New Hampshire, you get one type of uh, a police effort? If you're just a mass hole, which is what they call us, you know, we support the economy, but you're not worth lo looking for. Evidently, that's the case. He didn't look for her. That's what he says. Why? What's your job, mister? You know, this is Monahan. This is a guy that didn't look for my missing daughter who's now gone, dead. This is a guy that could have saved her and didn't unless he killed her. That's what I've got to say. That is not off the table. I'm still saying it. I know it's a, it's a heavy a heavy load to put on someone, but he deserves it, especially <laughs> if he did it, you know? Did he ever tell you that he his supervisor didn't know because he didn't write a he, full he, report? He, no, he never answer. told me anything. He was I've never spoken to him. You don't get a, a chance to ask a question. He's under wraps. The police kept him under wraps. He was not available to talk to, ever. Zero. This, is the first, this program was the first time he's spoken in public about the case. And that's for legal reasons, I presume? I don't know. It has to be. Anyway, that I know I go on about it, but that's what I feel about it. Everybody bows and scrapes before the police, you know. You've probably heard me say that before. Yeah. Like they sit at the right hand of God, you know. They're like everybody else. I mean, every group of people has got good guys and bad guys. That's a percentage thing, maybe one and a half percent, one percent. Here's one that... Uh, the program makes a big point of the dogs going 100 yards. Here's what the dog cops told me. The handlers, when they came back, I was at the police station. At the uh, conclusion of the search, they and the dogs came back. They let the dogs run around, horse around, and stuff like that in the back of the police yard. And uh, so I was talking to the handlers, the dog cops, state cops. And um, they told me that the scent was too old. It was too weak and too old. They said the conditions and so much traffic and all the people that had been there have destroyed the uh, integrity of that scent. They didn't think it could be depended on. These are the guys handling the dogs themselves. And uh, so they said they, maybe, but I, I wouldn't count on it. I would think probably not, you know. So it's the, they're, the, dog, the people, the cops handling the dogs themselves are kind of debunking the theory. They didn't really have anything strong. They said it was cold and unreliable. Uh, and this was right after the, they just came back from the search. And I'm talking to them right then, you know, so. Can I ask you one thing about that? Because I was questioning the dog search as well. And I remember one of the things that um, I think John Smith had said is that when you first went to see the Saturn, uh, more stuff was in the back because they had taken pictures or something like that. They had gone through some of her stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was when I when I was allowed to see the satin. That was up in um, the tow guy's uh, garage, in the garage, and the stuff was out spread on the floor. I had a spare key that I had uh, put in a magnet up under the bumper, a fender or something. I hopped on the car and it started up. 
So I had the car running, but the stuff was on the cement floor of the guy's garage behind the trunk. Was the scent item that they used, they call them scent items, the gloves? There were brand new gloves that Mara may never have worn. They were a Christmas present. And here it is a month later, and I don't think she ever wore them. There were fancy gloves, weren't they, Jewel? Leather gloves and stuff that you, you would not the type of stuff you wear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't, the students don't, don't wear that stuff, you know. They'd have to be dress, dressing up or something, you know. And Mara may never have worn those gloves. Yeah, but. well, even if she had only touched them once, it could have been a decent scent item, but if anyone touched it after that, then it would have essentially destroyed the, the scent. Like, the latest person to touch it will override the scent yeah. of the foreign person. So my theory or question has always been, was he actually following Cecil Smith's scent? <laughs> because that's as far as Cecil went. That's exactly where Cecil went. Yeah, you're so, right. Bep, don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Well, and the other thing, too, there were people watching all this time, you know, at that 100-meter um, mark where the program maintained she got in a car. I'm saying, I'm sitting here saying Maura would have fought and run. You're not going to catch her. She'd have to be surprised or something like that. She'd have to voluntarily get in the car or something like that. And nobody saw it. And there's, there were three people who were off and on. Mm -hmm. But this is right in front of Butcher's house. And Butcher's only in the house as short as possible time. And either Butcher's and talking or... Which maybe saw the cop, a cop grabber or something like that. And people don't talk to other people. They don't report things. They mind their own business. You have to drag information out of them. They're not going to volunteer stuff. And it just, it just makes it that much harder. People are afraid to come forward. That hurt. That hurt the case. Like the lady that lives right across from Butch. There's Forcia. Then on the opposite corner of Bradley Hill Road. What about her? She was on a website and was kind of kind of anti Mara Murray case because we're calling too much attention to uh, the area or something like that. Or, you know, it didn't make any sense. But she would have had a good shot of seeing what what went on too. She could have seen that. So uh, I don't know. I it's no slam dunk that she got into a car. At all. I'm saying no, unless she knew the person. And, uh, but nobody seeing it is kind of a stretch, you know. So that, that's the, pro the conclusion of the program, but it's an easy one. And that absolves them from any further uh, digging, you know. Now it becomes who was driving the car. But uh, anyway, that, these are all things that, that happen that don't get any uh, notice publicly. So, were most of the officers that you talked to, was it mostly Smith and Scarenza? No, Baby Yui himself <laughs> at the station. I, I Mostly, mostly uh, Williams. Okay. Number one was Williams. Huh. They held me at the police station Wednesday after I went back down there. I got there at dawn, right before dawn, just at dawn, mm -hmm. first light. And then I eventually went down to the police station. And that's when the activity started. That's mm -hmm. when the investigation started. When I arrived at the North Haverhill Police Station, they put me in, and you stay here, and we're going to go up there and stuff like that, you know. And uh, I kept waiting to, all day long. It's, it's pretty nerve-wracking. You're waiting to hear the cops come back and tell you that your daughter, they found your daughter's body. Uh, that's how I spent the afternoon. 
Uh, not good. Not good. And and uh, all I all I did was talk to the Williams, and then and early in the case was was Williams. Then then the state when the state police got there, and I remember searching around the area, and I, I remember Scarenza driving by with uh, Bruno, the detective, and and talking to them, but they didn't spend any real time. They were just driving around the area. I caught I saw them up on the big hill there. Uh, to the right across from Butch, and and I was banging on doors and stuff like that and looking at snow and looking for footprints. And I remember I talked to them, but they weren't there much, that's, that's for sure. Man, they didn't do much looking at all. But it, it, I only talked to Cecil that first night when he was calling. I kept calling him back. Uh, that was Tuesday night, and he was getting flustered. But I, I kept it up and kept it up, and I was there at dawn. So I didn't talk to Cecil much at all. That's, mm-hmm. that's all I talked to Cecil was on that, on that phone. I never talked to him after that. I didn't see him after that. And it was all Williams and then the state police. Then not so much Williams anymore. But I'd, I'd make several trips, return trips to the North Haverhill Police Station, uh, at which time I always spoke to uh, Williams. So those are the Williams and the state police were okay. the people I talked to. Have you tried to talk to James Conrad? He's the guy who who is a state trooper. Yes, I did. And I got nothing. He said, I don't really have anything, Fred. This is what I think. Uh, oh. This is stuff I've heard. But he, yeah, I did talk to him. And uh, he kind of discouraged me from pursuing it, saying that he didn't really have anything that I could use directly. Hmm. Did you talk to him like a long time ago or was that more recent? No, probably three years tops. Okay. Because that's when he resurfaced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At that point. Uh, that's when I talked. Okay. So John Healy, I've read a couple of statements that he put out, and they're all so sort of cryptic. He never really explains what is behind what he's saying. So one of the things he said was that we discovered several anomalies, and we forwarded them all to the state police, but wouldn't obviously reveal them. Do you know like what his line of thinking was? He didn't tell me. And he didn't tell me that he found anything. If he found something, he didn't tell me. And he also didn't tell me I found something, but I can't tell you. He didn't say anything about finding anything, any evidence or anything like that. Hmm. That his major thrust, and I can't emphasize it enough. It was a real. He put really put a rush on me twice to hmm. keep me from going to court. He did his absolute flat-out best to keep me from going to court and asking for records. So, Oh yeah, this is a huge one that I've wondered. So in the dispatch logs, the earliest it appears that they knew it was more was around noon the next day. So I'm curious as to when they contacted either Kathleen, because I think Kathleen was the first person that they contacted or the first person that they talked to. Tuesday afternoon, late. Late. Yeah, maybe. Four o'clock or so. Kathleen called me. I found out about five when I got out of work in uh, Connecticut. I, I was sitting in the parking garage. And that's when I I saw a message and it was Kathleen. And Dad, Mara's, Mara's gone. And I found her car. So they had, they had, must have contacted her late in the afternoon, as I see it. So they never told you how they knew it was her? Told me, no. Uh, um, 
Because the car is registered to you. Yes. That's why they're trying to get in touch with me. When did they actually know it was there was a girl? Now, didn't Cecil go up to the house and say, where is the girl? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's what, what was reported. I don't know if it's true. Well, they had, must he must have talked to Butch. Mm-hmm. And Butch must have told Cecil there was a girl. Right. And so then he went down and talked to the, the lady in the corner, Westman, so whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he would have known after talking to Butch that it was a girl. So he knew Monday night that it was a girl. Right. When they knew it was Mara, I don't know. So one of the other things in the dispatch log is that they they said that her height was 5'7", but Butch Atwood said it was 5'5". Five five. They gave two different heights. It was closer to 5'7". Yeah, it was, it was well, at least uh, on the, all the posters it says 5'7", so I'm assuming that's what was on her license. So how did they know her, her name and her height? I know I'm, cl- I'm cloudy in that. When did they? When did they know that it was actually Mara Murray? Yeah, as opposed to like Julie driving the car or Kathleen. Well, so just some girl. Where was the girl? Was a girl driving it? So they ran the place, found it was me. And that's like in the dispatch log. It says your name. And what's the first mention of Mara? The next day, they put out the bolo around noon, and that's when they say Mara Murray. So they had to have figured it out in the meantime. How did they know it was Mara and not Julie and Ke- or Kathleen? I-, I don't know that. Was she maybe listed as a driver on your insurance? I think I took her off my insurance because cause it cost me more money and she wasn't going to drive that car, right. you know? And that the reason that the car was covered was I had reached a maximum. Uh, there was some reason that I didn't understand. But for some technical reason, I was covered. So that's, that's something we sh- if it's possible to track down would be interesting, because that's the only way I can figure that they would know. And I can also try to find out if it's customary to run people's insurance. I don't know if it is, but that's the only logical explanation I can figure. Yeah, because if it isn't that, what could it be? You know, if they had it at noontime. Either that or they're making a huge assumption, which is, I I don't think that they could do that. No, there's no way of knowing which... Fred's got three daughters. How are they even going to know that? Right. I, I don't know how important it is in solving the case. Yeah, the only reason I thought it could be important is in the dispatch log, there's four missing calls, and three of them are were explained as being merged or um, moved to other jurisdictions. There's one that, and I've talked to Tom Andros at the yeah. Grafton County, mm-hmm. and it's inexplicable. He has no idea. It was duplicated, he said. He used the term duplicated, but essentially become part of another call. But he has no information on what that call was, like the other ones that he has information on. And it happened at 6.05 p.m., which if uh, she left the liquor store at Amherst at 3.43, she would have pulled off the exit right around 6. If she left at what time? Uh, if she left at 3.43, I'm thinking in terms of leaving at 4.30. But because Gorenza said that the latest she could have left is 4.30. And it's bizarre that, well, we don't know why he said that, but... Um, but that's a lot of time to kill. Yeah. From the, uh, the accident scene. Oh, no, I know. But it had to be spent somehow. And there's like that missing hour. So <clears throat> where was she? So my, my question is about that call is if she had been pulled over for any other reason... 
they would have had her information already. If they ever pulled her over and got a load of that car, God. Yeah. Which one is the one that would go home? Feed his dogs? Yeah. That was McKay. So he would drive that exact yeah. route every day. Yeah. When we first heard about the accident, there was a lot of confusion whether the time was 7 or 7.30. And the first figure we had was 7. And then afterwards, it became 7.30. The key timeline is is everything. I'm, I've, I'm assuming she left at 4.30. Cause that would, that, I can see that putting her there by 7, having something happen at 7. Maybe the car off the road down the street or something, but she get back on the road somehow. I don't know. But the big question now is what about the, uh, the McNamara timeline? That doesn't seem to work. It, it, does it take 15 minutes to go to the beyond the height of land or, but where she made the phone call? Does it take 15 minutes to drive from the accident site to that point? Did you drive it? Yes, and I think that the fastest she probably could have done it is 15 minutes. The fastest? Yes. And conditions were, were horrible. Yeah, so the oxygen series, well, their timeline actually just doesn't work. That, I, that's, I agree with you. And that was sort of a blaring mistake. But yeah. um, but I think their time for her was 737, and that's the latest possible that she could have gone by the scene, is according to my calculations, because she, at that point, at 737, she was still 12 miles over the speed limit. Okay, and, and 752 was the, yes. the call? Yeah. And that's... In violet, that's yes. that's a fact right. in the true sense of the term. So mm-hmm. his crap doesn't work because he got there at seven forty six. Right. Yeah. I my estimation was that she passed the scene around seven thirty three, seven thirty four. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope she doesn't back off. Yeah. So right there is that's a, that's the major crux of uh, everything. Mm-hmm. Tearing that apart, it should totally reopen the case in yeah. my mind. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. Because there's just no way. So I want that discussed. I don't want the program to be able to say, well, that's that. If Cecil was in, in a sedan, we got a whole different ball game going here. Was that the first time you'd heard about the SUV? Or him driving the SUV? The first explanation from the police? I never knew what car was involved. I heard it kind of both ways, you know? Huh. So I don't know. I, and I never did know. But they never like came out and just said he was driving the SUV? I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that type of stuff. I'm looking for my daughter's supposed to be here. She's not. Where is she? I spent 100% of my time chasing where my daughter was. If it wasn't directly important to that, I pay. I didn't pay any attention because I had other people paying all kinds of attention to that. Like Mrs. Roush. She was invaluable and highly organized, and she had everything. She lost all her notes. We had to go to, I don't know, some place that we had we both we had to fly there and do a program and she was flying in from ohio and they lost her her luggage her baggage and she lost all the notes and she was the original note taker if i didn't and wells river motel sitting there beside me taking notes she was there for a long time and bill roush was there and bill senior they gave me an awful lot of help really nice people salt of the earth nice but it was division of duties and I was out in the woods and banging on doors and, and going to the police station and stuff like that. That's how I spent my time. Have you ever been able to figure out who called Michael Boy? Because it's not in the logs either. 
Well, the only thing reliable is the police radio that's going to go. So Cecil will probably call the switchboard and say, call in whoever's on. But uh, LaVoy wasn't on. The other guy was on. And he was mad as a hornet. And he said, I went up there that night. I was so mad. And I uh, talked to uh, LaVoy, told LaVoy, that's my dime. That's what he, the way he expressed it. And uh, what's LaVoy doing taking it? And LaVoy said, I don't know. I got a call. He said, you, and, and, and the other guy, the uh, driver said, you knew you weren't on call. You knew I was. You should have had them call me. And so they, they were the, the people, they were the voices heard in uh, the Brownhouse driveway, evidently arguing, because we thought we were thinking that it's cops. Now, which two cops and who's got jurisdiction? Is it Monaghan and Cecil who's arguing about who's got jurisdiction? But the, I think it's the tow truck driver because they're talking about whose night is it here, you know? The tow truck drivers makes the most sense if Dick yeah. McKean was that mad. But I'm just curious, like, who calls him because it is not, it's not there. And it should be. And the dispatch log doesn't say who called. That's right, too. And dispatch didn't call. I, I don't know the answer to that. Cell phone I, service doesn't work, right? You have to be real lucky. And it might work in one tiny little spot for just a little bit, then no. But right there at that spot, no, I, I never was able to get a signal. That's another good one. All right, I'll try to push more. That, that. Well, that's... It's obscure, but it's a real question. That, that's kind of my specialty, I guess. It's, it's a <laughs> real true. question, you know? Do you remember when you first heard a witness said that she was drinking? I, yeah, I had heard that Butch said, the cops must have told me this Wednesday, that as soon as they talked to Butch, that Butch mm-hmm. said that she may have been drinking. It was like may have been drinking. Not definitely that she was, not, not that she was drunk, not that she definitely was drinking, that she may have been drinking. And so that's that's all I got out of that. Nobody knows how much she drank if she was drinking, you know. No one knows for sure that she was, but and certainly nobody knows how much. And it's, it's based on the red liquid, I guess, you know. I mean, there's like been two times that he's stated directly that he did not say that she appeared intoxicated twice. On, on record. At what point? Anything that's exculpatory to the police, they will say. That's been the method of operation all along. How it feels. I only have one comment then. Uh, I went to Jigga Johnson, and that's the campground that the girls and I and, and my son and the, the family would go to every single year. And uh, I went there, and that that's when it, it, it kind of got to me pretty bad. Uh, see, you can burn on anger and, and borderline hate for a long time. You can burn on it, you know, and it keeps the, the reality from sinking in because when it sinks in, it's going to knock the living crap out of me, you know, and and I'm, I'm good at that. I stay busy trying to, trying to blast through it. But when I went to Jigga Johnson, I said the Jigga Johnson visit is too much. It just all come flooding back in. I had no defenses and, uh, you know. This is, this is our spot. 
with Aspa, you know, for the kids and myself. And, uh, that that was tough. I, I don't think I can go back. You have to almost have this happen to you to fully get any kind of appreciation for what it feels like. But anyway, um, what's the I got here? Can't can't rule out police cover up. I don't need to put that in there. But... <laughs> oh God! Uh, this is just other stuff that needs to be cleared up. You hear about Thursday night call from Kathleen. There was nothing, nothing going on there. Uh, nothing having to do with the case whatsoever. Mara was probably telling Kathleen to stop drinking and stuff like that. And she was probably upset that Kathleen was falling off the wagon again, mm -hmm. you know, and, and pumping fire water, mm -hmm. whiskey, for God's sake. So, oh. <laughs> but I haven't had a drink of whiskey since I was 20. <laughs> I drink beer, lots of it. Yeah, you know? me too. No <laughs> That's my role, too. Yeah. But, any, but anyway, that, that Thursday night thing was just... But it was just, it was nothing, nothing at all. Mara uh, hitting what's-his-name is nothing because a crash expert went over the car and said this car's had one accident, and the accident was at the corner. That was the only accident that car was ever in. And that's from a reconstruction specialist. Yeah, so that's out the window. You know, that's another thing that's out the window. Oh, Mount Carrigan. Maura and I did Mount Carrigan in summer, and it's a brutal hike. And with three feet of snow or whatever snow, nobody carried a body up there. And Maura's not going to walk up there to her own death or something like that. She'd run away, try to catch me. You can't, you know. And um, Maura and I actually did it because we did all 40, uh, or I have done, and Jewel did a lot of them too. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, 4,000 foot, there's 48 4,000 footers. Right. And uh, I was working on getting them all. I eventually did. But the girls got quite a few with me. But uh, that's what Maura and I were doing in Kerrigan. We were bagging a 4,000-footer. That was a tough hike. That's in good condition. But anyway, uh, that, that, that's foolishness. It's a Mount Kerrigan. That's how, just throw that out. Here's one of my notes. Woodward and Bernstein will never be seen in New Hampshire again. <laughs> <laughs> the press was pathetic. Really? You know, yes. They were terrible. At one point, the Manchester Union leader, the Caledonian Record, and the Valley News, which was the other big paper that carried, uh, the area paper that carried the, uh, the story, all stopped doing any Murray Murray articles. The reporter, the stringer for the Manchester Union leader, who lives in that area and handles that area's stories for the Manchester Union leader. She would do all the interviews with me that later went to that paper. She says, Fred, we've been told that we have to stop doing Mara Murray interviews. Gary Lindsley, who is the reporter who did the job, there is a guy that does his job and is unafraid, but he was, his newspaper put him down. No more Mara Murray stories. This all happened simultaneously. So that had to be an order from above. I complained to the managing editor of the Manchester Union leader, and he gave me a lecture on, do you know what you've put this, uh, this state through now? Do you know how much money that uh, New Hampshire spent on your daughter? I said, how much did they spend in the first 10 days, Buster? You know, how about a big fat zero? What'd they spend in the first two days, Monday and Tuesday, until Wednesday? 
Yeah. Did you report that? I didn't see that in your paper, you know, that they weren't even there. So I had an argument with the managing editor, but he was scold. I was getting scolded for being obstinate and not listening to reason and stuff like that. And no more articles in his paper. And that lasted a long time. And it, and it, yes, and simultaneously. So that's something that should be known. The little things like that that the public doesn't know. And the only way that the public will ever find out is that somebody like you or somebody other than me. Because I've reached the saturation point on my effectiveness. Because I keep, I've pounded away at the cops because that's my number one issue. Somebody else now is going to have to carry the ball because... I've put all my most of my eggs in that one basket because it's so important. It's time for somebody else in addition to me because I'm I'm a one-trick pony on this on purpose. You saw me do it in this program over and over against yeah. the cops. That's my role as I see it, and it has to start with that. And uh, the subtle details, the public is ready to listen to someone else. They're ready to listen to Jewel. They're ready to listen to you. And you'll be considered more rational than I am. Uh, this Fred, and he's too close, and he's, uh, he's hot-tempered, or blah, 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 or whatever, you know, anything they want to say. But a more rational approach, which is what you two bring. That's why, uh, that's why I want to talk to you. I want somebody to have all the facts and hear it from me. So that, that's, that's why... Uh, I, w I wanted to have the opportunity to uh, talk to you.